Hi everyone, I'm Libby Campbell and welcome to TIC, Teachers Inspiring and Collaborating Knowledge. Are you looking for some new teaching ideas? Are you looking for some inspiration with what you do in the classroom now? Is something not working for you and you're just willing to try something new? Then this podcast is for you. Each week, I get to talk with everyday people about ideas and practices, tips and tricks that have worked for them, and then I get to share these with you while you're on the go. Enjoy. Welcome to a very different episode, where I get to talk with you just by myself. In this episode, I'd love to share with you 20 ideas that I've come up with that were important to me in my 20-odd years of teaching. So I've called this episode, 20 Ideas for 20 Years. You might agree with some of these ideas and you might be nodding your head or you might disagree with some of these and uh, are thinking, where did you get that from? Then there's probably some things you haven't even considered. So whatever the case, I hope you find something valuable or at least of interest. If teachers are going to stay in the game for the long haul, it's those little things that count that make a big difference. Here are a few of my notes and they're in no particular order. Number one, look after yourself and find ways to deal with stress. Let's remind ourselves, teaching can be extremely rewarding, but also extremely stressful. Put on that oxygen mask first and look after you. It might mean getting to bed earlier, uh, eating more wholesome foods, having some downtime. Do what works best for you. Uh, For some people, it might be meditation, to write lists, to get organised, Or go out for dinner with friends, spend some time alone. Um, Those Friday afternoon drinks, going for a walk, working on your hobbies, whatever works for you. Number two, get a break each day at school. Make sure you get to the staff room for at least one of the breaks. Not only is it important for you to have a break from the classroom, but also to converse with other staff members. It can be those random conversations that create connections and value to your time at your school. Number three, exercise. This is such a game changer. Always make time for exercise, whether it's a walk, a run, a gym class, yoga, riding a bike, just move. If you're not an exerciser, just start with one small thing that you enjoy and then build on it. Sometimes choosing the right time of day to exercise can be tricky too. So it might take some experimentation to find out what best suits. But I tell you, it is so worth it. It's not only good for your muscles, but it's your brain as well. If you Google TED Talk with Wendy Suzuki, it will totally change the way you look at exercise. And needless to say, it also makes you feel good. Number four, learn to balance your work life with your personal life. This is similar to the first point I mentioned, but it's a much more long-term thing. This is so much easier said than done, but it's something you can work towards. I can remember when I first started teaching, the only thing that made me go home in the afternoon was when it was getting dark, and this was in the summer months. So I was getting home at 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. And after a while, I learned how to do things more efficiently. But there's always something to finish. There's always marking or programming. This is something I'm still working on. 
So if you know the secret to finding the perfect balance, let me know. Number five, make time to drink plenty of water. Water is so important to keep your body hydrated as well as your brain. It's so easy to get caught up in that busyness of the day that you forget to drink. I have been there. Uh, So now I try and make it a point to always have a drink bottle on my desk and aim to finish it within the session. If you think you don't have time to drink water, check out the website at healthdirect.gov.au. It will certainly change your mind. Number six, dress comfortably. I like to dress professionally for work, but also I like to be comfortable. I've found through experience that wearing skirts and dresses can really impede how you interact with kids, especially when sitting on the floor. I know male teachers have it a bit easier. Also, sleeveless tops and dresses can also be a problem when on playground duty in summer. Uh, I have come home at times with more sunburn than I realised. And yes, the obvious solution would be to wear tops and dresses with sleeves. And I'm working on building on my wardrobe um, to correct this. But the neck can also be a bit tricky. So now I pack a small container of sunscreen to apply, especially before playground duty. And I always, always wear my hat. Also, invest in a good pair of shoes to wear. I do remember one time when I wore a pair of shoes, they were so uncomfortable, and I had to take them off in the classroom. Not a good look if the kids see you with shoes off and think they can do the same. Also, heavy and bulky necklaces may look nice, but they do get in the way, especially if you're wearing a microphone around your neck or bending over to mark work. Number seven, packing your lunch. Leftovers are an easy, healthy and quick way to fill you up at lunchtime, especially in winter. It also brings a problem of waiting in line to use the microwave with everybody else. Hands up if that's you. I learned to bring my leftovers already heated in the thermos. It just saves so much time, especially if you had to go out on playground duty. So I would just wander around the playground and eat at the same time. I also learned that in summer, fridge space can be limited which creates a bit of competition as to whose lunch goes where. It didn't happen to me, but I've seen examples where other people's lunches get eaten. Anyway, uh, I will pack a salad or a sandwich in an insulated lunchbox with an ice brick, which um, solves that problem. I even know of a teacher who had her own mini fridge in the classroom. Clever lady. Sometimes I would stock my locker with packaged snacks for those days when you just forgot your lunch or were extra hungry. Um, But I was never big on buying lunch from the canteen. So it wasn't so much the cost of buying lunch every day and what that amounted to at the end of the week, let alone the year. But I found my hunger was just not satisfied after eating the foods on offer at the canteen. Number eight, be organised. I cannot stress this enough. If you want an easy flowing day, which is most teachers, you need to be organised. Have everything ready to go each morning. So that might mean the computer on, tabs open, uh, photocopying done, resource books tabbed, um, your day plan written on the board, the date written on the board, etc, etc. They're only little things, but gosh, they make a big difference to your day. You also need to not only be organised for the day, but at least a couple of weeks in advance. 
I learnt very quickly to always be looking ahead. Have you got all the equipment ready for that science experiment? Have you got all the supplies for the art project? Have you got all the equipment for the cricket game you'll have? I know a teacher who has all her photocopying done for the semester. Like, that's two terms. I was never that organised, but man, my hat goes off to her. Number nine, carry a pen and a classroom key with you at all times. I don't know how many times I went looking for a pen and have been so grateful to have it hanging around my neck on a lanyard. I have a dreadful habit of putting pens down and in unusual places too. So knowing I always have it on my person, it really helps. The same goes for the classroom key. If it wasn't around my neck, I think I'd be stretching the friendship of my colleague next door. Number 10, clear your desk at the end of each day. I found this more of a mental thing, really. I always made a point to clear my desk of books, papers, anything that was thrown there during the day. When I came into the classroom the next day, I just felt organised. There were times, though, when I had to do a mad dash after school and didn't get to clear my desk. So when I came in the next day, I really felt behind the eighth ball before the day had begun. And I just felt as I was chasing my tail all day. Number 11, mark work as you go. This is easier with younger grades, but you still can do it with older grades, depending on the task, of course. If you're looking and checking kids' work, you may as well be marking it. It's also giving kids that feedback of the concept being taught when it's most needed. So that's when, it, when they're working on it. It's not when they've finished it. Number 12, invest time into planning your seating arrangements. Sometimes I would write the kids' names on a post-it note and physically manipulate the squares of paper into the shape of seating arrangements in the classroom. It would take a bit of time, yes, but I saw it as an investment that would have huge dividends. And while we're talking about seating arrangements, I found that there was not one way that worked best. I've tried them all. I've tried table groups of four, table groups of six. I've tried traditional rows where all kids face the front of the classroom. Uh, the U-shape set up, um, the butterfly formation. If you don't know what that is, um, just check out my show notes on my webpage. I've tried the teacher desk at the front. I've tried the teacher desk at the back. I found that each had its pros and cons and that you just need to experiment with the class that you have. I found that if one formation worked well with one class, it didn't necessarily work well with another. But once you've nailed it, it is so worth it. Number 13. Think about the layout of the classroom to get that ergonomic flow. This was something I didn't really excel at, but I have seen it in other classrooms and I have been amazed at the difference it made. I worked a casual day once where the teacher had placed everything in the room perfectly. As the kids entered the classroom, there was a tissue box placed just inside the door. So they would grab a tissue on their way to the desk. The school did a program called Cough Puff Blow, which involved kids doing a quick exercise routine, coughing and then blowing their nose. And it was just used um, to help keep the eustachian tubes in kids' ears clear. So after they did this, the desk arrangement was so kids would line up around the perimeter of the classroom. 
making one line to the rubbish bin. So then kids would bin the tissue. Then they would sanitise their hands at a desk probably six steps away from the bin. Then they'd grab their mini whiteboards, markers and erasers that all set up on another desk again, probably six steps away from the hand sanitizer. And then they'd sit on the floor ready for phonics. And the whole time, the line kept moving around the perimeter. It was amazing. Number 14, leave plenty of time to write reports. Yes, I can probably hear some of you laughing right now. Some people are really good at this. Uh, Some people like me, when they first started, were very disorganized. And there's nothing worse than stressing about report writing because you're running out of time. It doesn't do anyone justice. It doesn't do you justice or the kids. I've always found the general comments section difficult to write. So what I found what I found easiest was I would concentrate on five students at a time. Sometimes I'd just go down the roll um, and work my way five students at a time. Sometimes I would just randomly choose students. The best behaved students are probably the easiest to start with, but not necessarily. Um, So I would work on these five students and write something really meaningful and purposeful for those five students. I'd continue that pace each night or each afternoon so that by the end of the week, I would have completed most, if not all, of the students' general comments. It just doesn't seem to be that huge burden. I've also built up over time a bank of report comments. So if I'm teaching a student that reminds me of another student from a previous year, I will use those comments from my bank and tweak them to personalise them just as a base to write from. It was so much easier. Number 15, make the librarian and office people your best friends. These people will be your most valuable assets. I remember a time I was organising an overnight excursion and there was a mistake made with the booking system online. And as you would imagine, I was feeling very stressed, very much under the pump. The office lady saw this and she just simply said, leave it with me. She worked her magic and it happened. I was so grateful. I've also found the librarian at schools are a wealth of knowledge and they're a resource often underused. They are always my go-to when I have questions about where can I find or what books are best for this subject or what online resources are available. Make them your best friends. Number 16, learn from your colleagues and ask questions. Within schools, There are years and years of knowledge and experience that's shared amongst all the staff members. It's not always tapped into. My recommendation, use this experience and knowledge. Nearly all the people I've worked with have always been willing to help me when I've asked. Some staff members are so in tune, they've approached me before I thought of the question. And speaking of that, sometimes knowing what to ask can be a challenge, especially if you're in a new school And things are very overwhelming. The best question I've found to ask is, what else do I need to know? Number 17, communicate with your kids' parents regularly. I used to underestimate the power communication with parents would have on you as the teacher and also the kids you teach. 
I worked at a school once where one teacher would invite every parent into his classroom within the first couple of weeks of school and he would introduce himself and have a discussion on what parents would like their son or their daughter to achieve that year. He used this information to gain a greater insight into the kids he taught. For the parents who couldn't attend, he would make a phone call and have a chat over the phone. And all this was on top of the regular mandatory parent and teacher interviews the school would have over the course of the year. He did say it was time consuming, but it was so powerful in the results he would get. The power of communication with parents is huge. I think it's also important to continue communication throughout the year. So it's not just at your parent-teacher interviews or at the beginning of the year. It's throughout the year. Some parents need more communication about their child than others, but communicating for both good and bad reasons, I think, is a must. As a parent, I've really appreciated that email from the teacher saying how well my son did in his writing task, for example, or how well my daughter's reading was going. Sometimes as teachers, we get so caught up following up misbehaviour or incidents that we forget to look for the good things happening. It's so important to communicate both. Number 18, be prepared for parent and teacher interviews. Always have a few notes and observations written down of things to discuss with parents, both good and bad. Maybe some goals that you'd like your kids to work towards. I've always liked to have some sort of data there as well, like your dibbles or your PM benchmarking to back up what I was discussing. And it's always nice to share some samples of kids' work too. Um, And regardless of your experience, never be afraid to ask the principal to join you for those hairy interviews. Number 19. There are no mistakes in teaching. You just learn to do it better next time. This has been the best piece of advice I was given. I had a teacher tell this to me in my first year out and I've always remembered it. It's helped me time and time again to be brave enough, I suppose, to try those new things and accept that if I messed it up, it was okay, that you can always improve. And number 20, be positive and smile. I once had a uni lecturer tell the group that when we start teaching, we were not to smile until Easter. I understood where he's coming from in that if you wanted to earn respect from students, you had to be serious about it. But it just wasn't me. I was not like that. I've found that kids seem to mirror or reciprocate what they see or what they feel. So if you have a happy and positive demeanour about you, and a general interest in kids, it will make your classroom a happy place to be. Well, I hope these 20 ideas in 20 years has been helpful for you. Happy teaching. Thanks, guys, for listening to today's episode. I really hope you were able to get something out of it. Just a quick note that ideas in today's episode are educated opinions and experiences of mine. Always inform yourself and work out what best suits you and your lifestyle before trying other people's ideas. If you would like to know more, be a guest or contribute constructive feedback, visit our website at tickteaching.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Tick Podcast. If you like what you heard today, subscribe, share this episode with your friends and colleagues. 
Looking forward to doing it all again next week. Until next time, love your kids, love yourself, take care.